0: In the name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we are the church. This means that we must be honest. And I know that I am a priest, but just for a moment, I am going to be vulnerable in the pulpit. Things are falling apart. We are in chaos. I look around and recognize that people do not know what to do. Individuals are attacking one another. People are gossiping. They're lying, destroying one another. And while people are concerned about some outside enemy coming and attacking them, while they are worried about the person walking alongside them being the enemy, while people weaponize words like conservative and liberal and independent against people they should be calling brother or sister, they fail to recognize that they are perpetuating a path of destruction as they progress in their selfishness and attempts to shatter the lives of others. If Jesus does not intervene and people don't get their act together, who knows what will happen? This, this is the state of humanity almost since the very beginning. Our present situation, it comes from embracing messages and ideologies that stand in competition with one another. More often than not, some aspect of those messages and ideologies also stands in opposition to the word of God. There are a lot of worldly messages out there. They are bombarding the airwaves satellite signals, social media, and countless websites. Information, misinformation, and disinformation are readily available to all who will receive it. Sadly, these worldly messages have crept their way into the church People have become divided over issues as they have listened to so many of these alternative messages, and they have failed to hear the message that God would say to them, the message that He continues to speak to His people today. The book of Hebrews, from which our epistle lesson comes, is a book that talks about the message that God has for His people. And bear with me because people talk about whether or not Hebrews is a sermon or if it's a letter, and it seems like it's this big hodgepodge of both. So I'm going to say, bear with me as I try to preach a sermon from a sermon without covering the whole sermon, okay? I mean, the author of Hebrews says, oh, it's brief. I'm like, this is not brief. This is like multiple chapters. This is not brief. But the author opens by saying, long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Today's reading from Hebrews chapter 2 continues this theme of Jesus as God's ultimate messenger who serves as our merciful and faithful high priest amid our suffering. We don't like this whole idea of suffering. It doesn't make us feel good. But we have to ask in the midst of everything that's going on, how did we end up in this mess? Hebrews points us all the way back to the beginning. Because in the beginning, humanity had a status that was one of dominion and power. God created the world and all that was in it the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air and the fish in the sea. Genesis one twenty six explains that God said, let us make humanity in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The Lord gave humanity dominion Our psalm today reflects on this in the midst of looking at God's divine majesty. The psalm asks, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels to crown him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things in subjection under his feet all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever walks through the paths of the seas. God left nothing outside of humanity's control. The language of Genesis 1 suggests that God gave both the man and the woman, them, dominion over creation. But somehow that was not enough. Though he received instructions from God not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam ate, and humanity finds itself in its present state. We do not see everything in subjection to humanity right now. The one who was to rule with the man is now ruled by the man, and ever since then, humans have been in a state of trying to subject all things to themselves, including one another. This, my friends, is not the way. At the same time, in the midst of seeing all of this chaos, we see something else. We see him for whom a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Now, this is the first time in the book that the writer mentions Jesus by name. If you look back in chapter 1, you see these references to the sun, and that's great, but now all of a sudden, Jesus is mentioned by name, and I don't think that it is any mistake that the first mention of Jesus' name in the book of Hebrews occurs in the discussion of what we call the incarnation. Remember a few minutes ago, I asked that if Jesus did not intervene, who knew what would happen? The wonderful thing is that Jesus does intervene. This event in history that we call the incarnation, the event where God became a human being, is the supreme intervention of God into the human situation. He lived the human life. He suffered human suffering. And he rose to the human goal. He was crowned with glory and honor. Through his suffering, Christ Jesus restored the dignity of humanity. He shows us the way to glory. Right now, we see him. But for those who follow him, eventually, we shall be like him. Even as Jesus has identified with humanity and suffering, those of the human family who follow him must be willing to identify with him through suffering. Now note, I did not say that everyone who follows Jesus will suffer, but people must be aware that Jesus promised suffering and persecution to his followers. In John chapter 16, Jesus tells the disciples that they will have tribulation. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus promised persecution to those who follow him. So if Jesus promised tribulation, trial, and persecution, why is it that those of us who follow him so firmly resist that which he told us we would face when we would walk in his way? Jesus' role as the founder of salvation lays a, and sets up a framework for us to embrace suffering in a manner similar to that which he did. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This language of Jesus being founder Appears later in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 encourages laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. He goes on to say, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, I wish the author of Hebrews had used another image besides running. Because if you look at me, you can tell I'm not a fan of running. I don't like to run. And honestly, I think the only time if I'm not forced to run that I would be running is if something were chasing me. So if you see Father Dan running, ask questions later. Just start running too, okay? But leaving the image behind and getting to the point of what, what he's hitting at, the description of Jesus here highlights exaltation through suffering. The author describes Jesus as the one for whom, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now before anyone says, but that was Jesus, You know, being God and all had to have its advantages in this, right? Consider what comes before Hebrews chapter 12. It's the passage that many call the hall of faith. A lot of times you will hear the great stories that come early in the history of the people of God in the hall of faith. You'll hear about people like Moses and Abraham and how things went well for them, how they overcame adversity, how the oppositions that they faced just seemed to miraculously cease, which they did. But people just like you and like me appear in this portion of the book where things don't necessarily have what we would call a Fairy tale ending that people hope for and long for. As Hebrews 11 comes to a close, we find the part that you rarely hear preached about, but it's one of my favorite parts of the book because it highlights a nice little aspect of this thing called faith. It reveals faith as trust in God, no matter whether things go the way you want or you don't want. The writing declares, Beginning in verse 32, and what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. That sounds really good now, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, the writer presents what I call the flip side of faith. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn into. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. When things turned out like we would probably want, those people were considered to have lived by faith. And when things did not go so well, those people too were commended for having lived by faith. In Jesus's identification with humanity, we are identified as sons of God and brothers of Christ. That makes us brothers not only of Christ, but in Christ. And that means that we are brothers and sisters because of what God has done. This means that you don't get to view your brother or your sister as an enemy. It means that you don't get to label them in a derogatory or insulting manner or attack them. Each and every one of you should be putting your trust in God Remembering that trusting God does not mean that you will not experience hurt and pain. It simply means that you will ultimately experience glory because of what you've suffered through. Now, the experience of suffering in the state of the Christian family comes with a stipulation. Your suffering is not to come at the hand of someone who is in Christ. This means that you should not experience suffering at the hands of any believers and you should not cause the suffering of others anyway. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3 explains that Christ endured from sinners hostility against himself. It was not from those he calls brothers and sisters. It was from those outside of his family, not those inside. This should warn you as those in the church against attacking one another the way the people outside, out there in the world do. We have been called to live up to who God created us to be. Those who bear the image of God and therefore those who respect the image of God that he has placed in other people. Now, we do not yet see everything in subjection to humanity, but we see Christ exalted and glorified and he models the way for us as humanity to meet the goal of humanity, which is to glorify God, And to therefore, because of that, receive glory and honor from God as His creation. Because we share in the nature of Christ and Christ shares in our nature, we can face persecution and even death because Jesus, through death, destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So you have the ability by the grace of God to face persecution, to endure suffering, and to overcome death because we believe that Christ will raise us up. Now let's admit something. We don't always get it right. Sometimes On rare occasions, I'll speak for myself, we as people, we exercise our power to do that which we should not do. At other times, we fail to exercise it to do the things that we should do. And both are sin. But thankfully, because Jesus was and is a human being, he understands and helps each one of us. He helps you who are in him, the offspring of Abraham, the writer of Hebrews says, in living a righteous life before God. Now, as we continue in today's worship of God, I want you to remember that as you confess your sins, you have a merciful and faithful high priest who has made propitiation for your sins. And in light of his work, let us draw near to the throne of grace. Though things are crazy, though people are attempting to exercise dominion and obtain glory in ways that oppose the way of Jesus, may we, the children of God, remember that Christ modeled for everyone the way of salvation and everlasting life. May we who receive it walk therein. Amen.